The Trumpet Daily Program begins right now. Today's world news, what it means, where it's taking us. I bring you the one and only possible message of royal peace. This is a message of hope, tremendous hope. And he said unto me, you must prophesy again. The Trumpet Daily Program begins right now. This idea that somehow, you know, Donald Trump is going to drive a whole bunch of people out of the race if he announces next week is just silliness, in my view, because... If you put everything in a computer, we should have lost 57 seats. Yeah, easy. Yeah. Four or five Senate seats. And the reason is really Donald Trump. I mean, he bought people out to vote against this. He, he out-trumped inflation. He out-trumped crime. He out-trumped the, the normal cycle of the first off-year election with an incumbent president. I mean, it, it... But the Republicans turned their party over to him. Mm. And all he has done is lose election after election. When are they going to wake up and understand that if this guy were an inside plant from the DNC... He couldn't have hurt their party more. I think Donald Trump has done for the Democrats what no one could have done for the Democrats. And he's a, he's a gift that keeps on giving. And last night, last night was another gift. There's always a wave. There was a wave in 82 and 86 with Ronald Reagan against Reagan. There was a wave against Barack Obama. There's a wave. Well, I don't understand this. It's not Democrats good. are still. Yeah. They still have a chance of holding on to the this, Senate. This wasn't even a good ripple. There was a coronation last night, probably as grand as King Charles III's coronation is going to be in the spring. And it was Ron DeSantis in Florida. Unfortunately, Donald Trump lost the rest of America. <laughs> now, I'm not going to say this is the end of Donald Trump. But this is the end of Donald Trump. We, we should have known going in. I, on yesterday's show, I... I talked about how important it was for them to establish the narrative and how many times, how many times have we heard over the past five, six years, this is it. This is it. Trump is finished. Donald Trump is finished. All of a sudden, these people love Ron DeSantis. Yeah, DeSantis is the only one that did well. And you can't, certainly Donald Trump can't be credited with that. So it's no longer Trump. Now the Republican Party has moved on to DeSantis. Now, there's plenty of people, I'm sure, in the Republican Party that uh, are hoping for that. But Trump is finished yet again. Here we are. Yet another tired, worn out storyline amid all of the really interesting storylines. And some of them are still developing at this moment. But those get overlooked. Those get pushed aside. No red wave. Trump is finished. That's what they're going with. You're listening to Stephen Flurry. This is the Trumpet Daily. We appreciate you joining our growing audience. You can get to the live video stream of this show through our website. That would be thetrumpet.com. Just go to thetrumpet.com forward slash live. And it takes you to the live stream page every weekday morning at 11 a.m. here in the central time zone of the United States. We also post all of our shows after the fact as well, should you choose to listen on demand. So listen to this from, this was in the midst of all the activity last night. This is from uh, CNN uh, on some of the exit polling, clip two. 
75% of the country says the condition of the nation's economy is not so good or poor. 78% of those in the exit poll say the inflation, inflation has caused their family severe or moderate hardship. Again, brutal numbers. Brutal numbers. But the problem is the one thing that sticks around throughout all of this is the economy, and that is what is rearing back to the forefront for so many. Well, what I thought was pretty interesting here, which David Chalian pointed out, is that the numbers in these exits do not line up with what we were seeing in the polling data going into this election about what people cared about and the order in which they ranked it. So, and you know what's missing from this one, two, three, four, five, top five issues? Democracy. Oh, yeah. It's not even in here. It's not to say that it's not an issue for people, but it doesn't even come issue. close. Well, not I do issue. think that when, I, when we looked at the uh, exits where people said, I'm unhappy about the direction the country's going, I'm angry, I wonder how many of that is people who are angry about Biden. the state of our politics. Oh, the yes, state of our the politics. Of our yes. Yeah. People across the board, angry, upset about the economy, about politics. I'm sure there's a lot of truth. That, well, they're exit polls. So... All of these storylines, and again, maybe there are maybe there are some questions as to if people were that upset, then why didn't they win more House seats, the Republicans? But still, winning a majority seems like to be a, a pretty big deal. That's a pretty big storyline. And I'll get to some of the numbers from the Senate here in just a second. But no, you get to the end of the night or the middle of the night, these people, the same people, by the way, that told us, listen, you're going to have to be patient. We're going to have to wait for days to figure out the results. We're going to have to, what, isn't it amazing that they, Pennsylvania was able to make the call relatively early. I should have had Sam get me the time. They made the call for Fetterman. Now, for Ron Johnson in Wisconsin, I mean, it's got to be 99.999% of the precincts have to report before we can finally admit that Ron Johnson wins his Senate seat. But for Fetterman, they were Pennsylvania was telling us it would take days. What happened? Are, are they all counted? I'm not saying Oz is going to come back and win in five days. I'm just saying, look at, it's like Ephesians 4 says about people being just tossed to and fro, but they're not even being tossed. It's all, everything is seen through the prism of get Trump. Get Trump. Trump is finished. So they're celebrating. They're celebrating. And maybe they did underperform, the Republicans. But can they pause for a moment to look at, let's, let's say, uh, Florida, for example. Miami-Dade County swinging hard right? That's a pretty significant development. The fact that uh, Lee Zeldin only lost and all the votes are not even finished. They're not finished counting in New York. Zeldin lost for the governor by 5%. New York lost something like a half million people last year that wanted to move away to places like Florida. So New York's probably losing its fair share of Republicans. And still, still, it's a pretty close, close race for governor. Why? Well, because those exit polls. They show how unhappy and how scared a lot of Americans are. That's a pretty significant storyline. But it's just like everything else we've covered in the lead up to this. They don't, they cover it up. There is no crime. It's not, and there is no problem at the southern border. And the economy's okay. You know, you can get, as one, one talking head said the other day, you, you know, when, when times were tough when I was a kid, we just uh, ate Chef Boyardee. So uh, that's what everyone in America can do, I guess.
just get cans of food and you'll be fine. You'll weather the storm. But then, but then last night, and, and it carries over into this morning, no longer do we have to wait for days to find out the results. Now we know there's no red wave. Historically, there always is in the midterms. And this can only mean one thing. Trump is finished. Trump is finished. Coming back to some of these other storylines, listen to some of the Democrats talking about the disaster in uh, South Florida. Clip three. We just got, I'm told we just got Miami Dade. This is a big one in Florida. Let's take a look at, okay. This, we got the, yeah. So let's put this in some perspective. Miami-Dade County has two and three quarter million people. In 2016, this was a Democratic county by 30 points. Hillary Clinton won this county by 30 points. Miami-Dade in the mail-in and early vote, which again tends to be more Democratic friendly. Marco Rubio, the Republican, is outright leading in Miami-Dade County by seven points. Interesting, we're looking at Miami-Dade looking very much like the rest of Florida, and Florida starting to look like a red state. Right, I mean, Florida is a red state. I mean, I, I think I've said this before. I mean, the, the challenge is Miami-Dade has been trending Republican for a really long time. Can I ask you while we've got you um, if there's any single result or any single trend that's evident thus far that surprised you the most? What has struck you as legitimately unpredictable in tonight's results? Well, first of all, the divergence between Florida, which, you know, can't sugarcoat a disaster for the Democrats. A disaster for the Democrats. Now, as part of the Trump is finished storyline, the talking heads are saying that, yeah, all the candidates that he endorsed all the, Trump wasn't on the ballot, by the way. He's just like democracy. Democracy wasn't on the ballot. Trump wasn't on the ballot. He, he obviously was campaigning for certain ones who were on the ballot. But look at the last few stops that he made. Two nights before the election, Trump is in Miami, of all places. He's in Miami. He's, a, he's in a get-out-the-vote campaign with Marco Rubio, who won easily. The, the night before, the, so it's Miami one night. The next night, where does he go? He goes to Ohio. The last night, the night before the election, he's campaigning in Ohio for J.D. Vance, who is about as Trumpy as any candidate there is. J.D. Vance won easily in Ohio. And so two things that we learned from last night. Florida is a darker red. than it. DeSantis barely won four years ago. Now he won going away. Now he even took Miami-Dade County. Ohio, darker red. Where did Trump go before that? Sioux City, Iowa. That was Thursday, November the 3rd. He was there to campaign for the governor candidate, Kim Reynolds. She won. Chuck Grassley, he won. Iowa's dark red. Ohio's dark red. Florida's dark red. The one place that he visited in the last four days, the last four campaigns, was Pennsylvania. And Pennsylvania is probably the leading state when it comes to stealing, stealing elections. We saw that in 2020, and I'm sure a lot of that went on this time. There's already reports of these mysterious drops in Detroit. Same old usual, usual suspects. And then who can explain what was happening in Arizona yesterday? Yesterday morning when all these tabulator machines suddenly didn't work and sent lots of Carrie Lake supporters home. And Carrie Lake may still win. 
In, in fact, there's many commentators that are saying she's going to win this as soon as all the votes are counted. So we're here to tell the same people that told us to be patient and wait. Can you be patient and wait and see what the results actually are in the end for Arizona? Or is it just Trump? Well, you know what it is. It's all things Trump. Trump is finished. And so they're celebrating. They're, ce they're taking victory laps this morning. Finally, finally, DeSantis is someone we can, we can kind of get behind. Just, just go with it for a second. Go with their narrative. If, if Trump's out of the way, if he's out of the picture, and DeSantis is there in uh, two more years to go for president, do you think Joe Scarborough is going to heartily endorse him then? These people, they're so predictable. As I said, it should, have been, it should have been something we knew going into last night. Let's see, what will they try to say as a result of whatever happens in this midterm election? Uh, Trump is finished, of course. Of course that's the narrative. Now, you look at Arizona, that's, a, that's one of the cheating states. You can see why they went after Kerry Lake with everything that they could to try to destroy him and Blake Masters along with her. And then, and then Nevada, that didn't, get as much, that didn't get as much play in 2020, but lots of cheating going on in Clark County back in the, the presidential election. So now you've got, a re, a, again, 77% of the count is in, but most likely you're going to get a red governor a Republican governor, and then I think Laxalt is his name. If he wins, that flips the, sweet, the seat there in the Senate. So as it stands right now, and you've got the, the Warnock and Herschel Walker runoff on December 6th, if in the end of all of this, if in the end you wait patiently, you wait a few weeks in the case of that Senate runoff, and the, the Republicans control the House and perhaps control the Senate, I'm not saying any of this is absolute and you can see why you can at least be positive no matter what plays out. As I said yesterday and the day before, who knows what's going to happen? Who knows what they're going to try to pull off? These people who are quite good at harvesting ballots. But we get to the end of it, or at least the start of the end here. And like I've said earlier this week, Romans 13.1, we know that the powers that be are there because God allows for it. The Moffat translation says about that verse, the existing authorities have been constituted by God. So if it's not a 50 or 60 seat victory in the House for the Republicans, it nevertheless does give them a majority if they get up to 225 or whatever, 230 seats. In the end, that gives them control of the committees and all the more so if they've got 51 senators by the time all the votes are counted, that's, pretty, that's going to represent a pretty significant obstacle in front of the Joe Obama agenda. So that's a pretty significant storyline. And it's not even being talked about. Because why? Trump! Trump's finished. Trump is finished. Here's a little clue. Anytime you hear them talk about Trump being finished, it's exactly the opposite, isn't it? Of course it is. How many times have they used that? And every time, every time, they get it wrong. Nobody's talking about the Alaska race. That was between, I forget the, the gal that's running against uh, Lisa Murkowski. Kelly uh, Tshibaka. Looks like Shibaka. <laughs> okay. 
I'm not going to make fun of the last name. She's a Trump supporter. Trump went to Alaska in July. She, I think 70% of the, the count is in. She, Murkowski's a, supposed to be a Republican. She's, she's a never-Trumper, basically. But that would be, and again, it's stacked against Shabaka because uh, if, it, if it's not a 50% victory, then they go to what's called a, uh, what is it, a ranked choice, which always favors Republicans who, uh, who hate Donald Trump. So anyway, but that's pretty significant for Donald Trump to go out of his way to campaign for this, uh, this Trump supporter. And she's leading right now over Lisa Murkowski, one of the, the weak rhino Republicans. That's a pretty interesting development. That said, that said, it does highlight how deeply divided the United States is along pretty much 50-50 lines. You've got, you've got red states getting redder, and you've got some blue states like New York. They're still, there's enough there in those votes to see how even Democrats are upset and angry about what's happening. But these are dark, dark blue states and there's a lot of ballot harvesting that goes on in places like Pennsylvania, all the swing states for sure. But the Democrats have been in control for so long in places like California and, uh, and New York. This is from uh, Real Clear Politics. It says here, talking about the, the Republicans underperforming. And, and that can be a storyline or a takeaway from this. Uh, but we might want to wait just a, at least a few more days to see what the final numbers are. It says here, historic inflation, rising gas prices, and general dissatisfaction with the direction of the country whipped up by a sour mood among the electorate that Republicans hoped would carry them to healthy congressional majorities. President Biden saw it developing. Then he stepped aside as the GOP wave crested. The president now watches to see if the wave will collapse and what will be left of his majorities. It says control of the House and Senate remained up for grabs this morning, a scenario that almost no Republicans and few public opinion polls predicted. But even as results are still being tabulated across the country, this much seems certain. On the eve of his 80th birthday and with approval ratings in the low 40s, Joe Biden managed to outperform both his immediate Democratic predecessors. So it goes back and crunches the numbers from the Obama midterm year 2010 and then what happened in, I believe it was 1994, uh, with Bill Clinton. And suggesting here that the fact that he didn't get crushed is good news. Good news. And, you know, to hear comments from the talking heads saying that, you know, well, maybe... Maybe the basement candidate approach is, uh, is what we should go with here. It worked for Biden. Uh, Katie Hobbs, wouldn't, she wouldn't uh, get into a debate with Kerry Lake. Uh, John Fetterman, he, he waited until the very end, until he finally went out and gave the debate, and it was a, a disaster. And then Chuck Schumer, remember, whispers into the ear of Biden, yeah, I don't think it hurt us too much. So, so imagine a party that's taking the, the approach of just, it doesn't matter who it is, just put someone out there and then tuck them in the basement. And then get the machines rolling. Get the, the harvester, get the harvesters rolling to recruit as many ballots as possible. Whether fake ballots entirely or ballots that they harvest from indifferent voters, people that wouldn't vote, but do because of the harvesting process, entrenched in places like California and Arizona and elsewhere. 
It says here, Biden has avoided anything close to either fate com compared to uh, Clinton and Obama, that is. It says here, the president did it in part by staying out of the way. So this is the way they view it. Biden got out of the way. He just let Trump do his thing. And now Joe Scarborough can tell you that Trump is finished. That's always what it's about. Get Trump. It's always going to boil down to that. Get Trump. When we come back, we'll uh, maybe say a few more comments on the election, the midterms from last night. Uh, and then also carry on with, uh, with our Bible study for the second segment. You're listening to Stephen Flurry, and this is the Trumpet Daily. If you'd like to, uh, to email the show, you can reach us, td at thetrumpet.com. The 800 number, if you want to get a hold of America Under Attack, that's 1-866-930-3024. We'll be right back. This is KPCG-FM, and this is the Trumpet Daily. The developed nations have made awesome progress. They have produced a highly mechanized world, providing every luxury, modern convenience, and means of pleasure. Yet they are cursed with crime violence, injustice, sickness and disease, broken homes and families. At the same time, more than one half the world is living in illiteracy, abject poverty, filth and squalor. Violence and destruction are rapidly multiplying. Many ask, why, if God exists, does he allow so much violence and human suffering? To understand the reason behind this astonishing paradox, request a complimentary copy of Mystery of the Ages. We were born into this 20th century world as it is. We take it for granted, but we can't explain it. It's like viewing a movie at a point already near the end. We see what is occurring at that point, but not having seen it from the beginning and not knowing how events developed to the point of viewing, we simply cannot understand what we are seeing. Mystery of the Ages transports you back to the beginning of the movie, to the foundation of this present evil world. To learn more, please visit thetrumpet.com. The Trumpet Daily points up the problem. Look, the country is really closely divided in a lot of places. Pennsylvania is one, Nevada is another, Arizona, lots of different places. And so you're going to have close election results. And people have to have confidence that those results are real, that they can trust the mechanics of the election. And what happened today in Maricopa County, where some huge percentage of voting machines, electronic voting machines, according to the Arizona Republic, 30 percent, they, they claim these are Dominion voting machines, but it, it almost doesn't matter. Electronic voting machines didn't allow people to vote, apparently. And that, whatever you think of it, the cause of it, it shakes people's faith in the system. That is an actual threat to democracy. And it points up the core problem, which is we're not really very serious about democracy if we're using electronic voting machines or if we're not requiring photo ID to vote. We could have secure elections. We don't because a small number of people don't want them. But until we do, you're going to have these moments where everybody in the country fears volatility because one side doesn't believe the result is real and you've seen it on both sides i mean you saw yesterday democrats suggesting that electronic voting machines could be hacked 
Democrats, this ran in Politico. So it's not just, you know, the crazy right. It's everybody is losing faith in the system itself. So I hope if there's one thing that comes out of this, and I hope it's bipartisan, no more electronic voting machines. France doesn't use them because they care about democracy. Require ID, and then we can just call it a day. Everyone knows the election results can be believed, and the temperature goes down. That's, uh, of course, Tucker Carlson last night providing some commentary on all the shenanigans going on in uh, Arizona. I mean, think about Katie Hobbs. She's running. She's currently the secretary of state in Arizona. So she's she's responsible for the election process. She didn't recuse herself from that. She didn't recuse herself. She's and she's now running for governor and she controls the election process that saw Maricopa County tabulate tabulating machines uh, basically fall apart the day of the election. And as it is. With 66% of the vote in, Carrie Lake is behind by 10,000 votes. 10, I mentioned J.D. Vance being about as Trumpy as you can get. Carrie Lake leads the way. This is, this is the one they despise, they hate the most because she confronts them in Trumpian fashion. She exposes the lies coming from the media. And you know what? She had more cameras, more members of the media following her around than probably any other candidate running for office last night. All through the campaign. And she would bring the receipts. She would smack them down. She would show them. Look, you guys blame me for that break-in at Katie Hobbs's uh, headquarters. You blame me for that. And then they had to quietly admit later that it was just some homeless guy. They're breaking into that, that, that campaign headquarters because of the, homeless, the homelessness crisis facing the United States. If, if in the end you see the seat in Nevada flip and Herschel Walker wins the runoff, Ron Johnson, they've only just now declared it for Ron Johnson, the election desk. Fetterman, they knew right away, even with tens of thousands of votes still that hadn't come in. They knew that right. As soon as he got the lead, these Dems, boy, I tell you, they're all of a sudden, they're election night, we know the results. That's who we are. And, and by the way, when, when Carrie Lake's team requested, they took it before a judge and they said, look, because of these tabulation machines and the malfunctions, we're just asking that you would extend the voting period for three hours to 10 p.m. And the judge said no. And, and of course, the Democrats, because they want to count every vote, right? They fought against that extension. I mean, in this case, they were all about the deadline and in Fetterman's case, making the announcement as soon as he has the lead. What does that tell you about these people? And then they come forward and say, hey, maybe the basement candidates, maybe that's our best approach. It is, it is unbelievable what happened in Pennsylvania. There are, there's lots of cheating, we know this, but clearly there's also quite a few Pennsylvanians that voted for John Fetterman. What are they thinking? Leaving aside politics for a moment. What are they thinking? What does it say about the United States of America? You see just how deeply divided the country is. You also see the sickness that has set in. Sick from head to toe. Is he going to be waltzing into the Senate chambers in his hoodie now, in his, in his athletic shorts? This is the Senate in 2022 
This is, this is the one that Barack Obama and all these other people got wildly behind and said, yeah, everything's perfect. Everything's, everything's just normal here. It really is sad. It, and just leaving aside what we know, Romans 13, and what God says about the, the future of our nation, just as an American, yes, you do hope, you wish going in, you just, in your heart of hearts, you wish that, I hope it's a 50 or 60 seat gain. I hope that it can salvage the economy and, and make it a little bit easier on people who are hurting because of what is happening to the country. Because these people who are bent on, on fundamentally transforming it, destroying it, well, they've been exposed. The exit polls obviously reveal the unhappiness of most Americans. And yet here are these propagandists, gleeful this morning, the biggest takeaway is that uh, Trump is finished. Finally, finally we can report to you that Donald J. Trump is finished. We're never going to have to see him again. He's never going to get back into politics again. The Republican Party has moved on. And you know, another interesting storyline to all of this is the financial support that Mitch McConnell provided to certain candidates on the Republican side and the financial support he didn't provide to certain others that happened to be strong supporters of Donald Trump. And in the words of the talking heads, election deniers. We can't have those election deniers in there, unless of course they're Democrats denying the results of an election. It was nice to see Stacey Abrams finally concede, four years on, and she concedes that she actually lost a race if in the end Kemp wins by a, a landslide and, and Herschel Walker flips that seat, are the talking heads going to maybe look at the stats, the figures of this a little bit differently? Don't worry about that. They're not, they're not going to change their tune at all. All that you need to know is Trump is finished. And if, if the, 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 the facts change two, three days from now or three, four weeks from now, They'll come up with something, some, some other story that tells you that Donald Trump is the problem and that if we could just get rid of Donald Trump, everything is solved. You think about America under attack. I mentioned it uh, just before the break there. My father writes this. Um, I forget which page it's on, but he says, Mr. Trump did, did not have to war to save Israel during his first term though he did have to fight to expose all the fraudulent investigations, impeachments, and other treasonous actions. It says there are different ways war could apply. My father's referring to the, the Bible passage in 2 Kings 14. Um, you can look at verse 28 in particular. There are different ways that, that the word war can apply, but the indication is that regaining office may take considerable fighting. Donald Trump will have to fight for it, it doesn't have to involve military action, but it certainly could. Those are sobering words. And we have to keep coming back to what the prophecies say. It is easy, Sam and I were talking about this this morning, to just get, you know, to put your hope or your faith in, in man's system. But what a flawed system it is. Look, at, look who won, quote unquote, as the senator of Pennsylvania. You want to put your faith in a system like that? The system is it's flawed. It's corrupted from top to bottom. It says here, verse 28 of 2 Kings 14 strongly indicates 
that Mr. Trump recovers his presidency by some kind of warring, this strongly indicates uh, more than just voting, more than just voting, it seems certain to me that this will happen before the next presidential election in 2024, unless there would be some kind of warring and voting combined. So we don't know everything for, for certain. We don't know all of the specifics. We just know what it says in 2 Kings uh, 14. He says there is going to be some kind of war to recover something. Some kind of war to recover something. Again, fall back on the sure word of Bible prophecy and just know that God is fulfilling his will, that God is doing his work, that God is going to prop things up, up long enough for his church, his, his family, to finish its work. A couple, a couple of uh, tweets. I think I skipped over those at the start. Let me see if I can find them. This was from Tim Pool. It says, it's funny how Republicans won. Uh, DeSantis, Abbott, and Kemp won handily. 224 House seats projected, and yet I see leftists mocking the GOP as if they lost, and conservatives lamenting the results. L lamenting the results. The, the forecast was so bad for Dems that GOP winning this well is considered a loss. I mean, the forecast was that they were going to get crushed, and so here they are this morning celebrating because we didn't get crushed. That's really interesting, isn't it? And, of course, it's all, as I say, through the, the viewpoint that Trump's finished. So that makes them especially gleeful. This is Richard Grinnell. He tweeted out, East Coast media isn't watching the red wave happening in Arizona and Nevada. Don't believe their current summary totals. Read the details. Look into the, even with the vote, look into the details. Read the details. But stepping back even from that, keep in mind, keep in mind what, my father wrote in America Under Attack based upon 2 Kings 14 and uh, verse 28 to be precise. All right, we'll take one more short break and then we'll come back and uh, shift gears to our Bible study segment. You're listening to Stephen Flurry, and this is The Trumpet Daily. We'll be right back. The Trumpet Daily. What has happened to the United States of America? The wealthiest, most powerful nation in human history is suddenly divided, weakened, radical. The evil in America has grown powerful. The good has grown weak. The honorable parts of American history are succumbing to a direct, targeted, sustained assault. Someone, something is dismantling America's history, purpose, and character. Fundamentally transforming the United States of America. Political dysfunction, social strife, economic peril, catastrophic moral failure, fires, attacks, riots, lies. The nation is being attacked from within by its own leaders. Powerful elites in government, journalism, academia, and beyond are intentionally, rapidly destroying what America is in order to make it into something else. There is a reason why your nation is crumbling before your eyes. There is a spirit and a specific perpetrator that is attempting to blot out America. Only America Under Attack reveals that perpetrator and the motive and spirit behind him. This newly expanded book shows you the reason why America has changed so dramatically, so suddenly. 
If you're confused and concerned about what is happening to America, request your free copy of America Under Attack by Gerald Flurry at thetrumpet.com. The Trumpet Daily. Let me just squeeze in this last bit. This is from Fox News. It says a Pennsylvania state representative who died last month was reelected during the midterm elections, reports say. Democrat Anthony DeLuca died October 9th after a brief battle with lymphoma. Uh, with lymphoma. DeLuca was Pennsylvania's longest serving state rep, according to the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. And then I love the comment that the Democrat Party put together there in Pennsylvania. While we're incredibly saddened by the loss of Representative Tony DeLuca, we are proud to see the voters to continue to show their confidence in him. <laughs> the guy, you can't make this up, can you? The guy is dead, and he won his reelection. I'm sure there were plenty who voted that weren't aware of the fact that he died. But there were probably others that uh, didn't want some, you know, third-party candidate winning. So they just vote for the dead guy. It really builds faith in this system, doesn't it? I speak as a fool, of course. I was telling the students this morning in Epistles, you know, we're just coming into 1 Corinthians 12, this beautiful chapter about government, God's government, God's family government. You can read about it even at the start of chapter 11. And it just makes you, when you see this world, when you see the way that it operates, any, any, any nation, any government, when you see the level of corruption and filth, when you see the lawlessness, it really, as I say, it does make you appreciate God's government. There's an example in 1 Kings 10. Uh, this is uh, the visit that the Queen of Sheba uh, paid to Solomon, his kingdom. And this was ancient Israel when it was right at the, the apex of its, its power and its, its glory. And the Queen of Sheba had heard all of these rumors about how, how magnificent the kingdom was. But she wanted to come in and see Solomon's government for herself. She wanted to see if it was, if it was true. Notice this, 1 Kings 10 and verse 1, it says, And when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to prove him with hard questions. So she wanted to see, as I say, if he was really as wise as everyone uh, was saying. She wanted to see the glory and the splendor of the kingdom, to see if it, if it was as magnificent as, as she had heard. Verse 4 says, And when the queen of Sheba had seen all of Solomon's wisdom and the house that he had built and the meat of his table and the sitting of his servants and the attendance of his ministers and their apparel and his cupbearers and his ascent by which he went up unto the house of the eternal, there was no more spirit in her so just viewing all of this, it, it took her breath away. That's, that's the meaning there of that last phrase. It just took her breath away. She was left speechless, breathless. Couldn't believe it. She just couldn't believe it. Notice what else, verse 6. And she said to the king, it was, it was a true report that I heard in my own land of the acts of your wisdom. Howbeit I believe not the words till I came and my eyes had seen it, and behold, the half was not told me. I mean, it's twice, as, it's twice as good as I thought it was. Your wisdom and prosperity exceeds the fame which I heard. I didn't even know the half of it, she says. It's that glorious. Your fame, 
It actually exceeds the fame that had spread around by word of mouth, just seeing all this for myself. And then she, she notes the court, the kingdom's court, the king's court, those who were there serving the king, God's government. Verse 8, it says, Happy are the men, happy are these your servants, which stand continually before you, and that hear your wisdom. Blessed be the eternal your God, which delighted in you to set you on the throne of Israel. It says, Because the Lord loved Israel forever, therefore made he you king to do judgment and justice. She saw this royal court. She saw everybody pitching in. Everybody was engaged in serving God's family, God's family government. And she noted that they were all happy. They were all joyous. That's the way it is with serving God and his work. It makes you happy. Paul said in Acts 20 that it's more blessed to give than to receive. The people in the world don't think this. They think that you're more blessed if you go out and take, if you go out and get what, you, what is rightfully yours. You've just got to accumulate as many things as you can and hold on to them. Be selfish. God says be selfless. God says practice the way of unselfish, outgoing concern for the good and welfare of others. That's the way of God's government. And, of course, it produces this kind of happy, joyous, peaceful environment. Happy are your men, she said. I can't believe this place, this environment. It's so peaceful. It's so uplifting. It's so unified. She gave the king 120 talents of gold and of spices, very great, very great store and precious stones. And there came no more such abundance of spices as these which the queen of Sheba, Sheba gave to King Solomon. She was just really moved and inspired by what she witnessed. The countenance, the, the contentment, the joyful abundance shown all over the faces of those who were serving in Solomon's royal court. God really is building this kind of joyous, positive outlook in all of us. And the world needs this. The world need look at look around and see how unhappy and miserable so many people are. You see it even in, as I said in the first segment, you see it in the exit polling. People are worried. People are concerned. In God's kingdom, it's going to be very different. The joyful abundance that everyone will enjoy and appreciate and be thankful for. Notice this passage in Luke uh, chapter 10. Verse 38, it says, I'll read this from the Revised Standard Version. It says, Now as they went on their way, he entered a village, and a woman uh, named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. So, as I say, there's a lot to be said for serving, certainly for serving in God's royal court. But here was a woman serving. She was distracted by it. Here comes the Messiah, the, the supervisor, so to speak, who's there to teach and to give to these, to these two women, Martha and, and Mary. And Ma Martha was just complaining 
about the fact that the service was stressful and she didn't have enough help. She was frustrated by Mary's unwillingness to help in some of these duties, these responsibilities. And Christ goes on to to correct her. Verse 41, it says, And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are careful and troubled about many things. Clark's commentary says, You are distracted. Your mind is divided. You are disturbed. Your spirit is thrown into a tumult. So we need to serve. We want to serve. But it needs to be motivated by God's love as well. We need to have the right motivations for it. Sometimes you can go overboard with it in a kind of a show of service, which makes it more about vanity than about truly giving to God. Jesus says to Martha, look, you've got to look at your priorities here. Here the Son of God came into her presence, and she was running around the house (laughs) distracted with a lot of physical things. Instead of sitting down before the Messiah and saying, teach me your ways, help me to understand Guide me in all that I do. Verse 42, it says, But one thing is needful, and Mary has chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away. The Weymouth translation says, And yet only one thing is really necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, and she shall not be deprived of it. In Clark's commentary again, it says this, While you are busily employed in providing that portion of perishing food for perishing bodies, Mary has chosen that spiritual portion that endures forever and which shall not be taken away from her. Therefore, I cannot command her to leave her present employment and to go and help you to bring forward a variety of matters which are by no means necessary at this time. Those physical details there, it's not necessary. They're not important at this moment. What's important is that the the family draws together. What's important is that we're close, that we're working hard spiritually. Notice the Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 3, here again, just to flesh out some of these biblical passages that speak to how important it is for us to be filled with joyful abundance. Verse 9 of Proverbs 3, it says, Honor the eternal with your, uh, with your substance and with the firstfruits of all your increase. It says, So shall your barns be filled in plenty, and your presses shall burst out with, with new wine. God, uh, God will honor our substance, even the physical substance. John 10 and verse 10 brings this out. He wants for us to live the joyful, abundant lives, even in the flesh but certainly to set our hearts and our minds on the the kingdom of God and righteousness above all, Matthew 6.33. It says here, My son, verse 11, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, even as a father, the son, in whom, even as a father, the son, in whom he delights. God corrects his children in love. To bring us to repentance and change. Repentance is a good thing. Romans 2 and verse 4, it comes from the goodness of God. He leads us to repentance. Verse 13, notice, Happy is the man that finds wisdom and the man that gets understanding. See, this is what Martha was not doing when Christ first arrived at their house. She wasn't seeking after wisdom and understanding, not like she could have. 
It says here, for the merchandise of it is better than the merchandise of silver and, and the gain thereof than fine gold. She's more precious than rubies. And all the things you can desire are not to be compared unto her. The fruitful abundance that God wants to give to us, it's more valuable, it's more precious than fine gold, than precious stones. Verse 16 says, length of days is in her right hand, and in her left hand riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. This is God's way of life. It's the way of goodness. It's the way of joy. It's the way, it's the way that the Queen of Sheba saw on display in more of a you know, national sense, physical sense. But still, God's government was there. The throne of David was there. Solomon was a, a righteous king at that time in his reign. And that really blew her away, the Queen of Sheba. It's so unusual in this world, this world that's so dark and so negative and so critical, critical of others. She is a tree of life, verse 18 says, wisdom that is, to them that lay hold upon her, and happy is everyone that retains her. If you lay hold on wisdom and understanding, if you hold on to it, if you retain that, it will make you happy. Verse 19 says, the Lord by wisdom has founded the earth, by understanding has established the heavens. You see, by God's wisdom, the earth and the vastness of the universe, it was all established. It was all brought into existence by God's powerful, mighty, and, and, and powerful force, miraculous force. Look at Luke 17, just switching back to the Gospel of Luke. There's another great example here of uh, you know, an individual, in one case, should have been more, but one that was just so overflowing with joy and, and happiness and, and appreciation and thanks. This is Luke 17, verse 11. It says, And it came to pass, as he went to Jerusalem, that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. They had to stand afar off because they had leprosy, so they were really literally outcasts. They were way off in the distance. They lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Have mercy on us. We're lepers. We need healing. Verse 14, And when he saw them, he said unto them, Go show yourselves unto the priests. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, he turned back and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face, at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. He was a Samaritan. He was a Gentile who appreciated this act of God, this miraculous healing. He gave thanks to God straight away. Verse 17, notice Jesus' response. Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? There are not found that re return to give glory to God, save this stranger. I thought there were ten people healed, healed of leprosy. How come there's only one who returns to give God thanks and praise? God expects a, a, a positive, joyous, appreciative attitude in his family, in true Christians. It says, and he said to him, arise, go your way, your faith has made you whole. Even when these, these nine lepers were miraculously healed, you see just how, 
how normal it is in this world today to just carry on with your life and not really to show appreciation and not really take the time to be grateful and thankful. That would change the countenance of so many people in this world today if they just were like this one Samaritan who came back and just gave glory to God. Study Romans 1 on your own time and see what Paul says there, what God inspired him to write about what happens when we stop giving God thanks, when we stop showing God appreciation. It's a a pretty straightforward chapter, a pretty good description, by the way, of the world we're living in today, a world that's rejected God, that doesn't give God any credit, that certainly doesn't give God appreciation or thanks or honor. Psalm 148, I can read a few more verses here. I'm about out of time, but notice how important it is for us to praise God. Verse 1, it says, Praise you, the Lord. Praise you, the Lord, from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise you, him, all his angels. Praise you, him, all his hosts. It says, Praise you, him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you stars of light. Praise him, you heavens of heavens and you waters and be above the heavens. Now, they obviously, these inanimate objects can't praise God. The material earth doesn't sing praises to God, but God in this psalm is just saying, look, everyone get involved in praising God, giving thanks to God. It says, let them praise the name of the Eternal, for he commanded and they were created. He has also established, established them forever and ever and has made a decree which shall, shall not pass. Kings, princes, children, old men, young men, everybody. Give God thanks. And then verse 13, it says, Let them praise the name of the Eternal, for his name alone is excellent. His glory is above the earth and heaven. As they say, it's amazing how much happiness and joy we'll have if we just turn to God in humble obedience and and strive to understand and and to, to obtain wisdom and then give thanks and praise to God. If we're doing these things, we're going to be the happiest, most joyous people on earth. You're listening to Stephen Flurry, and this is The Trumpet Daily. If you want to email the show, you can reach us at td at thetrumpet.com. We thank you for joining us on today's show, and we'll see you tomorrow.